spider. This had the spider treatment on it. No, I know it, people people can't see it, but yeah. for those of you who aren't see familiar it? with the dreaded yeah. spider wrapping, it's on the bottom too. Oh see? my goodness! It's on the both sides, so I know it's the spiders. Yeah, yeah. You, for those of you not familiar with the spider wrapping, basically in stores for like larger, more expensive sets, they put yeah. this like like almost claw like wire spider wrapping on the set. Basically it's the basically the the equivalent of a demon torturing you in hell uh to collectors items. Like Yeah, it's like they chain it down so they that chain you can't it down steal it. and it ruins the packaging and then they still want you to pay for it. Yeah, they still want you to pay full price for it. And it all depends on how um strong the packaging is. Like if it's really clamped on there don't buy it don't just buy because it. It, it, but of course in this case i ordered it. this online and didn't was not aware so which doesn't make any sense to me because usually when you buy something online it comes directly from like a warehouse well, so it's sure in a but box. in this case i think this was like a third party seller from like a store like right. somebody oh. that sells it you know so that's probably why but yeah. you know what in this case it doesn't bother me as much because it's not it, it, it's a collection of things i've never seen Right. And it's not. I mean, of course, I want my stuff to always look good, but this, in this case, it doesn't bother me as much. If it was, you know, something I was really precious about that I really wanted it to be like, if I'd gotten the Bergman box set and it was messed up like that, we would have issues. Right, but, right. You know, in this case, yeah. oh, I, I can goodness. deal with this one. Yeah, I've bought in um, Criterion's in store at Barnes and Noble that have the spider wrapping on them, and it's like it's the only copy they have. I'm here now. Um, buying stuff from Barnes and Noble online takes quite a while to get to me, and I'm very impatient when it's something oh, yeah. I really, really want. Um, and it's it's kind of a, a thing with me with with a lot of things. But we're coming in here on a new episode of the Cinema Discovery Project this, uh, in yeah. the new year. It is now 2019. Yeah, it is the new year. We are in 2000. First episode of 2019. Exciting. Um, you know, we 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 we're still. We're still going. We haven't given up yet. I know. Um, and uh, I do want to say right off the bat, and it's something I've been meaning to do for a while, and I want to start out, start the year out good. <clears throat> I've been meaning to give a, a, a shout out and a thanks to somebody that uh, did us, a, uh, you know, spoke some good words about us in our podcast. Uh, Mr. Dice K. Babu uh, did a video uh, talking about uh, this podcast, giving us some nice words. He and uh, you should go over to his channel on YouTube. He does a lot of great videos about the Criterion Collection and other, you know, boutique labels and other cinema-related stuff. And he he said some nice words about this podcast. And I just wanted to say thanks to him. And and uh, yeah, love his stuff. Yeah, he did. He gave us a nice shout out on his channel, which he just recently started. So we wish all the luck in the world to him and definitely, his endeavors definitely. there. If you uh, want to find somebody who's a super criterion collector oh you're super. not gonna find somebody more serious <laughs> no this he's guy had, there's nobody more furious than dice k he's got <laughs> like all the laser discs he's got he's he's a completist completionist and 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 just he he breathes lives and breathes bleeds cinema and uh you know he's he, he's somebody I follow pretty closely. So right, but, uh, nice just wanted to go ahead and start out the year that way because I've been meaning I meant to do it right away, but um, but yeah, I want to start out the year. Yeah, good with all there, with, with the, all the stuff going through our heads, uh, we always tend to forget certain details and certain things, and and glad we got that yeah, done right away. I got away that off so my chest. Can, I felt so bad. Yeah, he felt bad. He felt uh, Steven feels much better now. I feel so. so my throat still, as you can hear, we're actually both sick yes. right now. Um. But we're going to try to get through this episode. Right. And in this episode, we want to talk about something that's sometimes a fun thing in cinema, and sometimes it's just a complete distraction right. uh, of cinema, and that is gimmicks. Yes. Um, and gimmicks come in many different forms, but uh, and we're going to talk about the good ones and the bad ones, um, but... The bad ones are the ones that I think we're going to have – at least I know I'm going to have some passion about. Um, but so so where should we start here? Well, uh, I, I, I want to first start off by saying that this is a bit of an ins, inspiration episode because we were inspired by something <laughs> that recently happened. So we want to yeah, like, yeah, tap, yeah. In, tap into that zeitgeist. Um, recently, the you know British television series or kind of global television series now, 
Black Mirror had this kind of gimmicky or uh, type of uh, movie or episode or whatever you want to call it. Because if you're not familiar with Black Mirror, it's an anthological series where basically each episode is like a mini movie. There is no serialized storyline or anything really like yeah. that. So they came out with a new kind of standalone type thing over the holidays called Bandersnatch. And what is unique about that is that it is an interactive type of thing where you watch through your Netflix or whatever like you normally do, but props show up during this episode and you make the decision about what the character is going to do. It's kind of like, you know, uh, build your own adventure story. Yeah, that you used choose, to your, read in books. choose your own adventure. Yeah, you know, choose your own thing, adventure yeah. story. Or like the uh, recent Telltale games had that type of thing built in where basically you weren't so much acting as the characters, but you were giving them the decision. You were making them decisions. I know they did a very popular Walking Dead series of games, video games with that. They did a Batman one, which was a lot of fun. Um, I think they just closed up shop, actually. They just kind of went out of business. But but that same model is being carried over now into a new medium, and that is with a movie or or in this case, kind of a movie television series type of thing. And it's really cool that they first do that in in your home because that's where I think it could be most interactive with something. Whereas I think the logistics of doing something like that in a movie theater would just be crazy. (laughs) You know what I mean? it, It wouldn't quite work. Yeah, and you know, and and I have my personal, you know, opinions about the I I mean it's it's a tough thing. I don't know I don't know where you want to get deep into this first. I don't know if you want to go back and talk about some older stuff or do you want to yeah, you want to just get into this. Let's start off. I mean, I I want to go more traditional route. Steven want to get a little weird first, but so I guess we'll go, <laughs> It doesn't we'll get, really matter. We we'll we go every, we can go wherever you want to go. I'll nah, follow that's you. That's cool. It's cool. We'll start off weird. And we'll go with kind of old school, like in theater. I mean, coincidentally, I was just talking about in theater. We'll talk about uh, something that is fascinating to me, and it's just the in theater gimmicks that people would try to do back in the day just to get the audience more involved with the, with yeah, the movie. Yeah, uh, we should experience. say if you don't, I mean, if you don't understand what the idea of a gimmick is, a gimmick is just a way to try to get more people into the theater. It's a, it's a, you know, or, or to watch whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, that's the, that's the definition of, of a gimmick, some kind of unusual idea usually to, to bring in more audience. Right. And specifically, I want to start off with talking about something that has many different names, but they all kind of have the same concept. And that is odorama or smell-o-vision or aroma-vision or whatever type of smelly thing you want to talk about. And I bring this up specifically because it was something that was done by one of my favorite people in film history, world, whatever, uh, John Waters for his film Polyester, which came out... In 1981, and of course, it starred Divine and the late Tab Hunter. And basically, you would have this odorama card that was given to you while you were in the theater, and numbers would show up on the screen, and there would be a corresponding number on the card, and you would basically scratch the number and then you would sniff it. So it's like a scratch and sniff card. You know, if you had like scratch and sniff stickers when you were a kid, it's essentially the same thing. But of course, being John Waters, it would you know, get weird, of course. You well, know, yeah, the things he, you would he, smell. he was known, he had one on there that was a fart smell. So. Yeah, or stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, and and this type of technology was actually inspired by William Castle, who was the king of the gimmicks. And he had a oh, movie yeah. called Scent of Mystery, which came out in 1960, which I believe had that same type of idea that went with it. Um, yeah. This idea of you know, smell-o-vision or Cinerama or something like that, which Cinerama is something we'll get into. But not, but right now we want to stay on more of the gimmicks. And what is interesting about Odorama is that that same to- concept would be, you know, reused a number of times, specifically um, more recently in the Spy Kids movie from like 2011, yeah. which was called uh, Spy Kids All the Time in the World, which they gave you a scratch-and-sniff car called Aromascope. Um, and you would like, you know, scratch and sniff. Same yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I remember doing it. I did it. Yeah, and <laughs> the the Rugrats Go Wild movie put out by Paramount in two thousand and three, 
was the same thing. And this is a very interesting aside story I was telling Stephen recently. Um, in John Moore's kind of 2006 stand-up special thing called This Filthy World, which used to be on Netflix, and I've watched this thing, you know, 20 times or more. I just could, could keep it on, but I couldn't figure out what to watch. And basically, he, he had this story where when that movie came out, he was like, you know, that that's my idea. That's Odorama. That's the same thing I did. And so he called up New Line and was like, hey, that's our idea. That's what I did. New Line produced polyester back in the day. And New Line basically just let the rights, uh, you know, lapse. They didn't renew the rights for Odorama. So, you know, there there goes all the kind of like extra paychecks someone like John yeah. Waters or New Line would have gotten for that concept. So it kind of goes to show you that you got to keep up when it comes to, you know, copyright and things like that because you're going to be missing out on some money. But, Stephen, do you want to uh, – because I know you, you're interested in this. Um, well, yeah, there's other the ver- there was other yeah. versions of uh, this, you know, Odorama um, – Throughout history, I mean, they, they, they even – there was a time – and this is back when it – this was even more out of hand. I mean, I, I, I personally don't – a lot of the, the, this, this particular gimmick I think is probably the lesser of the, the gimmicks for me. I don't like – it's needing to smell something. I don't need to smell something to experience the movie. But they, they were even worse back in the day where they actually used to pump actual fumes into the theater, um, which was just – that just sounds awful. I mean, you'd get a smell, and then it would stay in the theater probably the rest of the movie, um, mixed with all different other smells that they would pump into the theater. Like, yeah, it's it, like something like that doesn't work because like because it can you, physically have a reaction to you if it's too too much. Pungent. You know, yeah, if it's too pungent, something like that could be literally dangerous. They would like, you know, pump in something. Like they would that actually or gas they would put them something. under the seats, and it would they would it would pump out at certain times under from under the seats. Right. And, yeah. I mean, and it's, what is yeah. interesting is that you, you, you talk about something like that, and I want to transition directly to someone who I was just talking about in William Castle, who oh, yeah. was the king of those in those in theory. It's kind of his thing, man. He, and uh, he had a bunch of them. A bunch he of had them. <laughs> so one of the first one of the first ones was was one called Percepto, um, which he did for the Tingler. Yes. And, um, and I've watched the Tingler, and it's it's hilarious. It's kind of funny. It's a funny movie. And uh, you know, for for this one, he particularly used a kind of vibration, a, a buzzer that uh, would co would would go along with you know scenes of when they would. It would be you know he would use them. It would be like under the seat, and it right. would, it would vibrate on you whenever it got to a part where the Tingler was involved and represent the 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 feeling it would be you know with the Tingler. Uh, yeah. What, what happened is like they would. Some people thought it was like electroshock or something like that, yeah. but I think it was more like vibration. It's or, like the thing. It's like the little yeah. buzzer thing you you when you put it in your hand and you you know shake somebody's. Hand. It's like that. Yeah. Some maybe know? something like that. But what is interesting is that there comes a point in the movie that is literally you know breaking the fourth wall. I think Vincent Price was in these. Yeah. He was in these types of horror movies. You know that's where he made his name. That's where he's mostly known from. Are these kind of B picture movie horror movies. He's the king of that, and he would he would literally like tell the audience, you know, scream, scream for your lives, and people would start screaming, and the and you know the the buzzing would happen and stuff like that. Um, and it was more of a kind of specialty thing. Not every theater had that. I guess only sure. certain special ones would. Um, but even in a movie like House on Haunted Hill, um, there would be a skeleton that would fly yeah. from like the rafters that was on like a uh, a cable or something because. Uh, towards the end of that movie, a skeleton rises and like chases someone. Um, that or which... he would even do. There would be times in some of his movies. I think uh, might have been Thirteen Ghosts, right? Where he would literally give you a chance to leave the theater. He'd be like, uh, "You can I think leave that was right later now." On. Huh. I think that was later on. I in Thirteen Ghosts, he used a Illusiono, which was basically... yeah. He used a, a form of three D. Yeah, the time. where basically yeah. like you would get these kind of. Um, you would get red and green. Yeah, you would yeah. get like this, this paper to look through, basically. Yeah. And you would put it up to your face on the screen when you were prompted, and you could see the ghosts, yeah. you know, coming out in the background, or you could choose not to see the ghosts or something like that. Um, there was also another thing that he would do, um, which yeah, was basically what were, like a what pole. What you were talking about, yeah, what you were talking about is 
was for homicidal, which okay, was okay. homicidal. See, I got a, I got the William Castle set and it has all these movies on it. Right. And I'm yeah. Um, yeah. But he, he also did came an, up there was with another Coward's Corner. Is that what you want? Is that what you want to talk about? Is this What's Coward's that? Co- Coward's Corner? He also came up with it in homicidal, which is the one where people would they like run out at would the end. Vote. Yeah, but people would. Oh well, um, yeah, that too is is hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious and it's kind of funny because what the reason why he came up with this because people were would just leave to get a refund. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so so basically, he set up this like series of you know, humiliating things where if you left, if you left the theater, you would get like a yellow piece of paper. You have to go through like uh like uh to like these booths or whatever where people would you know, like like write down this person is a coward yeah. and say and yell it out loud like you know such and such is a coward you know what i mean like just yeah, yeah. humiliating stuff like that yeah that was a pretty funny one they, they they talk about how if you left the theater you would leave with like a certificate of being a coward or something yeah. like that they take and it you. was yellow you know yellow being this idea that yeah yellow is a, a symbolic uh symbolic of cowardice you're yellow boy <laughs> But there was another thing that he did, um, the, which the was punishment like a, one. Yeah, was a poll thing where the audience could choose what would happen, to the fate of the character or whatever. But apparently, it was always the uh, down fate, obviously, right? Because there's no way he could pre- he could know in every theater, um, right? That was what in the, the movie. Result would be. Yeah, that was for the movie Mister Sardonicus. Yeah, apparently everybody always voted for the character to die so they never ever really screened the positive ending where the the mercy ending where he doesn't die so there probably was never a positive ending so yeah there's like rumors that like they never actually really shot a positive ending or something like that but i think that that it's it's actually true there is a positive ending that you have that like you can see on certain screenings saw it or i'm pretty sure you could probably watch it on you know home home release it's probably it's probably on my set yeah yeah Um, basically in, in the movie Zots from 62, each person was given a magic gold colored plastic glow in the dark coin. Um, in 13 Frightened Girls, uh, he, he launched this kind of worldwide publicity campaign where he catched like different girls from different countries to use them to promote each movie in each country or something like that, which was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> in the movie Straight Jacket, which famously starred Joan Crawford, he would yeah. hand out like plastic cardboard axes uh, to the <laughs> to the audience members and stuff like that. And I think she did like publicity campaigns where she would go to theaters and like wield an axe or something like that. Awesome. That was in that um that uh that feud remember that feud miniseries that came out not last year, I think the year before last, with uh, uh, where it was Joan Crawford versus um, Betty Davis, um, yeah. and it was, and they showed like John Wars coincidentally played William Castle in that series. It was it was great. Yeah. Um, it just just crazy crazy stuff. Yeah, he's, uh, he's he's kind of the he's kind of the founding father of gimmicks, basically. Yeah, I saw yeah. what you did was another movie where I think like it had something to do with giant plastic like telephones or whatever and it, it got it got because i think it had to do with like pr- a prank phone calling and whatnot it got um the phone company bell telephone company so mad that they refused uh to let william castle use the word like to mention telephones or something like that <laughs> it was just weird stuff and then in the movie in the movie bug from 75 um, he advertised that he had a million dollar life insurance policy for the the the, cockule- the the cockroach Hercules that was in the movie, and I'm yeah. like, this is crazy stuff. Apparently, he was quite popular though. Apparently, yeah. he had he had a huge fan club and things like that. Um, so that's kind of the more weird, weird gimmicky stuff. Yeah, and they really the don't they don't pull a lot of that stuff now. <laughs> they really don't. Well, it's not as extravagant like that, but they still do <clears throat> stupid little gimmicks like uh, stuff like. Uh, I remember when uh, Snakes on a Plane came out, and working at a movie theater, you could call a number, and Sam Jackson would answer. Um, <laughs> it's well, stupid. They did yeah. that last year with um, the Disaster Artist, where they had that billboard yeah. in California, and you would call this cell phone number, and it would be a cell phone that James Franco had directly on him, and he would talk to you as if he was Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, I mean, gimmicks extend to like a lot... like these viral campaigns and stuff too. I mean, they did stuff yes. for like the dark Knight, you know, where you could go and find a website for uh, <laughs> Harvey Dent 
who was running, of course, for for uh, the DA and stuff like that. And you know, yeah, it's more internet based now, yeah. uh, social media based now. Uh, you think about a movie like Deadpool, which came out two years ago, where they had just a great marketing campaign of you know because it came out on Valentine's Day, so they were trying to market it. You know, it, you know, take your girlfriend or your significant other to see Deadpool on Valentine's Day. It's a great date yeah. movie. And they would have you know these billboards and these commercials and all kind of stuff for that and whatnot. Um, and recently, you know, they when they re released Deadpool. To uh, in a different in the PG thirteen version, they they framed that it using, movie in, in itself is kind of a gimmick. Yeah, so. the movie itself is kind of you know it's a PG thirteen version, but they're framing it using the Princess Bride, even yeah. even including Fred Savage. You know what I mean? Just playing on that, so it's different now, but it's not so more like in person stuff. You know what I mean? I think a lot of that has to do, unfortunately, just the way people act in theaters now. I to, really to, think... Nowadays, the gimmick is more about enhancing the technology, you know, experience, the, the experience of the movie right. in, a, in, a, in a more... Like, not about, like, making you interact necessarily with the movie, but more um, more about enhancing the experience. Uh, now, right. It's, except for this new thing with Netflix, with the Black Mirror, that is definitely, obviously, an interactive thing. But, right. Um, yeah. And what is interesting is what happened. Um, I think a lot of the things changed after what happened with the Dark Knight Rises, where yeah. they, you know, the the shooting at the in Aurora, Colorado. They they really they they stop people from dressing up or bringing in props or yeah. doing stuff like that. And it was really that really changed everything. That changed midnight screenings. That's that's oh, the yeah, reason they, now they we don't have do, like they don't really five o'clock screenings. screenings anymore. Yeah, you know we have screenings on Thursday nights now at five, six, seven, eight o'clock, nine, yeah. whatever. Because you know midnight screenings, I guess you know have a kind of a bad name now because the of crazier that. people don't come out before you know apparently eleven o'clock or something. I guess, <laughs> I guess. But transitioning to what Stephen was saying about. Um, more visual type things, enticing things, yeah. um, really goes back to something I think many of us know, and that is 3D. 3D yeah. is something that has been around for a very long time, and I've mentioned, I think, on here a couple of times that it comes and goes in waves of popularity. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it uh, it really didn't become super popular until the 1950s. Uh, it had been developed as early on as the turn of the century, really, like that early 20th century. Yeah. And there were certain developments in the 19-teens and all kind of technical stuff. You can look all this stuff up if you want to. It's very, you know, uh, educational, but also kind of luxury, you know, this yeah, person yeah. is this, that person is that, and it's it's done like this. But what you really need to know is that in the 50s is considered well, the golden age of 3D movies starting in 1952 to 1954 is really kind of that sweet spot for classic 3D movies. And that's where you got certain movies um, like uh, House of Wax, speaking of Vincent yeah. Price. You know what I mean? You got really cool stuff like that. Uh, you also got um, really, really interesting um the way in which 3D was projected, I thought, was really, really interesting. It also ended up being kind of its downfall as well, because <laughs> the way the way 3D was done is it was done through two projectors. Because yeah. if you're not familiar, 3D is kind of like the overlaying of like two images, and you need the glasses basically to put them together. That's what the yeah. glasses are for. You know what I mean? And we were still using glasses. <clears throat> and also, now. of course, you know, one of the things that's just never really been, uh, you know improved very much when it comes to the 3d experience is the glasses themselves has never like they always i mean even today i mean i my eyes right. still hurt watching like i haven't watched the 3d movie in years because i right. just don't like them but um yeah that, they that's usually one of the strain, problems they usually strain my eyes and they're clunky and they don't they don't stay on your face right and you know yeah we there's so many movies that came out during that era um a lot of them are you know kind of more gimmicky but i will say this um a movie like it came from outer space which is kind of like a atomic age sci-fi film i think is great um you got other movies that i that were um developed by other studios basically every studio kind of got in the game because you know oh, it's kind of like is. now you know what i mean it's kind of like the 3d craze 
that happened uh, a few years ago, which I want to get to, but I want to, you know, go in a little, yeah, well, a little we'll, organized we'll order. Yeah, we're going to get to it because that's something that really affected our lives and I think the movie going, you know, public now. But uh, you also had films of that era, kind of like that 50s and 60s era, uh, movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon. Creature from the Black Lagoon looks fantastic in 3D. It's a great experience. You also had Dial M for Murder, which was Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock getting into 3D movies as well. And his his um, version of 3D is kind of one of the best. The way he did it was just really fascinating by really uh, manipulating uh, depth of field and perspective and things like that. Um, and what is really awesome is that a lot of these movies you can watch now in 3D if you want to. And that kind of brings me into kind of the more modern age stuff. Um, basically, 3D would go away in the 70s and then come back in the 80s a little bit. In the 70s, mm-hmm. you would get more of... They were horror films, yeah. exploitation films. They even used 3D for softcore and hardcore pornographic Why films. Why not? So you could just imagine what was going on back then. And what yeah. is interesting is... It kind of had a resurgence within the horror genre in the 80s. I remember they did... Jason, uh, like, got, Jason got a 3D. Yeah, Jason 3D was the third Jason film. Yeah. And I think like Amityville Horror had a 3D a movie or something like that. Um, and it wasn't really until... And, and that and that's when the, tech, the technology kind of changed from two-strip... Um, 3D to like single strip 3D. That's a whole different thing. Basically, one of the problems back in the day with 3D is, like I said, two projections. But they the frames had to be lined up exactly. If yeah. they weren't lined up, like if one frame was off from another, if the movie was unwatchable, you couldn't watch it. You know, I mean, the glasses were useless. You couldn't do anything with them. Yeah. Um. So that the, the technology changes over time, like everything changes. And then there was a bit of a rebirth of. 3D from the mid 80s to the early 2000s. Um, and a lot of it has to do with IMAX. When IMAX first hit in the 90s, people were, you know, overtaken with it. I remember when the IMAX theater opened up uh, where I live, and people were like, oh, this is the most amazing thing of all time. Like, schools would take field trips to the, the IMAX theater to watch some some educational movies. And that's kind of what a lot of the early IMAX stuff was. What, the IMAX 3D stuff was like underwater stuff or like... Yeah, not really you know, cinematic for cinematic no, stuff yet. It was like but, educational yeah. stuff. They weren't really showing... They were just trying to show off the technology to try to sell it to people. Yeah. They weren't doing anything cinematic with it. Um, but getting into more... But now finally getting to modern day. Uh, I always consider the modern day 3D starting with James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah. I always consider that being a watershed moment for 3D consumption and 3D popularity, and that was 2009. And it's not yeah. like they didn't have it before; they had it. Yeah, but it was like I, I remember falling stuff. asleep in that movie yeah, <laughs> during that 3D presentation. See, Stephen's about to deliver one of the hottest 3D <clears throat> takes you're about to hear. Well, but, I mean, look, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't yeah. give a shit about. T- I don't. I don't want to talk about Avatar, but yes, wait, wait until I'm done, and then Stephen will derail everything i just said about it <laughs> sure about 3D. But, yeah go ahead you yeah you basically talking. for me the the 3d era uh started with avatar the craze started with avatar and then ended i want to say like 2016 or so yeah around 2015 16 17 maybe probably not probably a little earlier um and it was that's kind of the way 3d goes it comes and goes and what came with this 3d wave was in-home 3d viewing which is something that was a huge craze. Uh, 3D TVs were being developed by all the major companies, Sony, Samsung, LG, Panasonic, whoever you want to, whatever name you want to throw out there. Yeah. Uh, I bought one. I had a, I have a Panasonic 3D TV. I had it. Um, I watched 3D movies. I collected 3D Blu-rays, which was a big thing. Um, it caught on a little bit and then kind of faded. You could see the trending starting to wane. What happened is that you would see less 3D TVs in the in the the stores, and then you would see less 3D movies available, and then it just kind of slowly peters and fades out <laughs> yeah. to the point where, for like the last two years or so, the new models of television or tech, uh, there's no 3D anymore. Doesn't no. you you can't get them. <clears throat> I mean, right now 4K has taken over the 3D 
craze. And the 4K is a lot more consumer friendly than I would say 3D is because like Steven said, you needed uh you needed glasses for that. And glasses wow. and they, and also kind of uh not everybody can watch 3D. Like Steve sure, said, sure. I it mean, bothered like, him. For me, for me, it's it physically has. I physically have a problem with it. It hurts my eyes. But I mean, getting to my, I guess, hot take. Hot, is, hot. My and just how I feel about specifically 3D is I, it, it to me. It's at the. I mean, like what we're talking about. It's it's truly a gimmick. Like it's it's the truest of the gimmicks. Just like Smellorama. Like it it it's uh, it's um it's basically unnecessary. When it for me at least, to it doesn't it doesn't improve the experience of watching a movie. All it is is there to bring people in. It literally is not good for movies. I I think <coughs> for three D, you know, animation can can sometimes benefit from three D. Um, but ultimately, you know, maybe I'm just too traditionalist. But I just don't need something trying to manipulate how manipulate how I watch the movie. Oh, if you're gonna sure. give me a bigger screen, that's one thing. I'll but, say this. I I'm know. halfway there with Steven because like with anything in Hollywood or big movie making, they gotta capitalize on what people want. And it got to the point where they were just pumping out movies in three D just to capitalize on the name three D. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um a lot of the movies that came out in theaters between that time period, a lot of them was what we call up conversion or up converted versions, where basically the movie was shot in 2D, all the principal photography, all the editing was yeah. done in 3D. And then in post production, the studios would have them up convert to 3D in order to get that extra money from the box office, basically. Yeah. And of course, there were movies, a lot of movies also that were shot with 3D cameras. Uh, post-processed to be in 3D and then exhibited in 3D. And you could actually tell the difference between something that was up-converted versus something that was uh, shot natively in 3D. Like, yeah. the up-converted stuff didn't look quite right. They improved on it. They improved on it towards the end, but it, it was already kind of dying out by the time yeah. they got pretty good at it. But You're coming into that same field of uh, post-processing now with 4K, yeah. But not so much. It's because, you know, some movies are shot in 2K, then post-processed in 2K, and then their master is in 2K. But then we'll get a 4K release uh, at a ho- as a home release, and it'll yeah. be up-converted. And then, like, some up-conversions look good, some look not so good. Some don't even look like they change in quality at all. But 3D, you can tell, you know, because 3D is different. Yeah, um, and t- until they can they can get to a point where it's not a distraction – Right to watch a 3D movie, then I I can't I can't accept it because it's for me any 3D movie I've watched I've never been able to get lost in the movie because something either something visually does not work for me or the, of course the glasses just bother me. That's they, another they, thing is yeah. the glasses. Um, well, I will also say, Stephen, you probably don't have to worry about it because it's kind of dead. Although you can still see 3D movies. Well, the, the thing theaters. is, is when Avatar, <laughs> this these new Avatar movies comes out, it, it's going to be back in some way. I That's mean, what I'm interested in is, is James Cameron going to re-release the, not re-release, but release his Avatar movies, which we're supposed to get number two next year, according to IMDb and such. And I'm like, is he going to push for that 3D format, which is, well, also, which most, I mean, most the, theaters I mean, have already thrown out in the trash. Do, you know? Also, he was doing the movies with Fox, and Fox is not own they don't own it anymore. From what I understand is that all the principal photography is done for Avatar 2 and 3. Yeah. And now he's in post-production on those movies. So yeah, I don't know are they gonna, what's going on. I mean, on. is Disney going to release them? Is that going to be... I guess. I, I don't guess. know what the contract is or I don't know how any of that stuff's going to work. But James Cameron himself has always been a visual innovator. Um, you know, if you're familiar with his filmography, he doesn't have a lot of films. He's actually, uh, there's a huge gap between Titanic and Avatar of about 12 years. During that time, he did a couple of documentaries and stuff like that, but he never really did, uh, feature films and he hasn't done anything since Avatar, which was 2009. And we're now, you know, in 2019, (laughs) we're now here. Yeah. And it's, he's always been, you know. Ahead of the curve, you know, if you watch Terminator 2, I think changed action movies 
forever. Definitely, just the practical effects in that movie. I, I, I go back and forth on whether I like him or not. Like I like I, I like a lot of his movies, but personally, he just seems very pompous, and I don't. No, of course. Yeah, I just uh, I just don't. I, and to me, like as much as I I I, I can applaud you know the leaps in te- in the technical part of filmmaking like i'm always excited to see what's coming next i'm curious right. but I-, I i would like him to focus on film like the actual like a story like tell right. a good story versus you know just worrying about like what new spectacle i can throw at you like right you know. i would like i mean yeah i'm i'm kind of with you on that when it could, just one last thing on 3d is there were differences in because uh, when I did my research to get a 3D TV, I wanted to know what the differences were in glasses. And yeah. the glasses that you had in the theaters were different than the glasses you could get at home or vice versa. Basically, there were two versions of 3D that you could get for home consumption. There was one that was called passive 3D, which are those, you know, those glasses they give you to go to, to watch a movie in the theater? You know, those yeah, the cheap plasticky ones. Cheap plastic ones, yeah. Which a lot of people ended up stealing, even though you weren't supposed to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, those were passive 3D, and then there was progressive uh, 3D, which was more expensive glasses. And these things actually had like a built-in battery to them and an on-off switch. And those were the ones that I used at home. And these things were they were thicker, they were heavier, and more uh, cumbersome. Yeah. Which was another problem: is these glasses would be cumbersome for some people. Uh, people with epilepsy probably couldn't see 3D movies because for fear of having um, a, 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 an, an episode, like a stroke episode or something like that. Um, you know, like Stephen said, it hurt his eyes, so people with eye yeah, problems couldn't it do it. Strains my eyes. So, it, it gave yeah. people. It gives people headaches. Yeah. It gives some people headaches or for eye strain and stuff like that. Um, so 3D is kind of gone now, and 4K is kind of in. But going back to the 1950s now, I want to hit on something that a lot of people don't talk about because you know this is Cinema Discovery Project, so we gotta discover some stuff. Oh, we're good, we're good. jump back into the Discovery. Uh, Let's get back here. in the Discovery Mobile or Discovery <laughs> Machine, and we're gonna talk about something that people probably don't know, but you probably should know because I think it's important, and that is Cinerama. Cinerama is something that people may have heard of, but don't really understand what it is. And Cinerama was basically a super widescreen format for movies that they came out with in the 50s. And what is so interesting about Cinerama is it's very much a precursor to IMAX. Yeah. Uh, the way you consume IMAX now and the giant, giant screen and all that kind of stuff. So they're kind of kindred spirits. That's why I've held off about really talking about IMAX until now. But Cinerama came out in the 1950s and uh, developed quite a few movies. And the way it was shot is they were shot on these just monstrosity-looking cameras. <laughs> you got to see these things to believe them. These things are all metal, and they're tall, and they have not one, not two, but three film like magazines in them, film yeah. reels in them. So you're filming... You're filming the film on on three. It's basically three cameras in one, and yeah. the the viewfinder on this thing kind of doesn't exist. You have to take out the the film reel magazines to put in like this this mobile viewfinder just to line up your shots and get yeah, all your well, shot right. Yeah, well, the idea right. is that it's 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 you're capturing a larger field, yes, of vis- you know, wider field. So it's like. Angling out to the sides and, and getting the front, like it's like yeah, trying it's to get like as wide of a front, scope as possible. Front and ends. And yeah. and basically this is where huge widescreen cinema came into being. We're talking like two, Yeah, you six, gotta remember one, widescreen two, didn't even start it used to be everything no. used to be full frame box, Ev- you know, letterbox. Everything was that letterbox one three three to one aspect ratio, yeah. which is basically what I I'm assuming Steven and I grew up on you know, growing up in the, oh, yeah, the 90s yeah. is all your TVs at home were letterboxed. Yeah. Every time you would get a VHS that was widescreen, you would like, what are those What, what are those bars what on the top bars? of the bottom? bars? bars are pissing me off. You know, yeah, but it's like, is some of this missing? What's going on? I can't, yeah, you know, no. am I getting the full thing? It wasn't until much later that I realized that full frame movies and VHS tapes and all that kind of stuff was actually cutting off a lot of the information on widescreen displays, uh, uh, widescreen framing. But Cinerama was super widescreen. We're talking like two, five, 
to one, two six to one aspect ratio. And the way these were exhibited were with three projectors working simultaneously. And yet again, synchronization is important. That had to for be a loud like camera. Loud. The camera was loud, but the projectors were loud. And also, you had to have three projectionists who knew what they were doing. You had to make sure it was always lined up or you would get a lot, a lot of problems. And yet again, tech is uh, a movie's best friend, but also a movie's worst enemy because it can make or break whatever it is that you're doing. Um, It's really, really interesting how um, Hollywood kind of co-opted Cinerama. Uh, have you ever heard of CinemaScope or Panavision yeah. or things like that? Basically, in the 50s, when TVs starting to become commonplace in people's homes, people weren't going to the movies anymore. People were staying home and watching movies on TV or, you know, programming or whatever. Well, so t- They were just watching, yeah, they were watching TV shows <coughs> instead of movies. Yeah, so people needed a, uh, so Hollywood needed a reason to get people to go back to the movies, so they developed... Panavision and CinemaScope and the widescreen. And widescreen's been around pretty much since 1952. Um, And a lot of the lenses used back then are like in like museums and stuff like that. Um, Cinerama is kind of died out in the 70s or so. Cinerama was kind of around for a little while. Um, but yet again, that's something that kind of died out. They don't really exhibit it anymore. Uh, there's a, there's a place called the Cinerama Dome, um, that shows Cinerama movies once in a while, but they, but they don't really, they, they don't really do that anymore. Um, a lot of these films are, uh, some films you may have heard of, like How the West Was Won, or It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which is, you know, part of the Criterion Collection. That was shot in Cinerama as well. Um, Ice Station Zebra, 2001 A Space Odyssey was shown in Super Panavision 70, which is like a 70 millimeter um, projection of the movie. A lot of what happened is, like I said, it kind of got taken over. So movies later on were shown in Panavision, but it was kind of like faux cinerama. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, even today like, with IMAX, yeah. most IMAX is not real IMAX. Yeah, and that's where so. the IMAX connection comes into. Because IMAX is actually, they've been working on it since like the 70s, where they would like show it at like, you know, tech tech fairs or world's fairs or something like that. But IMAX for me, and I think for Steven as well, really didn't come into play until the 1990s, um, where, they, where they started installing... IMAX screens um, in theaters around, at least here in the United States. Coincidentally, or interestingly enough, there's only about 1,300 IMAX theaters uh, around. So that's not that many. I mean, it's grown exponentially over the last few years, but there's not that many. There's actually only one in my state entirely. So it's not as commonplace as you would think. But they, like Stephen said, they also have kind of faux IMAX screens where they're not as big, but they're bigger than normal screens. Usually there's more of an upgrade in sound than anything. That was uh, another thing. The sound thing. is usually bigger, yeah. which that is was which an... to me honestly is 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 a, is a big deal anyway. That's that's yeah. a big enough deal. Uh, that was itself. a hu- that was a huge thing with Cinerama where Cinerama not only not only introduced this super wide angle vast thing uh where it was a visual feat where you would feel like you were within the movie itself because it was so immersive and so large and you know if you if it was a plane and there was a pov shot you were flying through like a canyon or over something or whatever now i can't remember what it was called but they did have this experiment with sound at one point where they they did this thing where they put a bunch of speakers under the auditoriums to help create a vibration and apparently it started to damage the theaters so they had to stop i believe it it. i would say uh, Probably. I don't deny that. I can't remember what it was called, though. (laughs) Yeah, neither can I. What I was saying is that they... Are you talking about D-Box? No, D-Box is something new. That's that's a new thing. I'll I'll, look it up. You you keep talking. Yeah, what I was saying is they discovered uh, seven-speaker sound. Not discovered. They started using seven-speaker sound for Cinerama. And that was something that's completely new at the time in the 70s. And it's kind of something we take for granted now is movie theater sound where at one point the sound in the movie theaters wasn't like great uh if you've ever heard of dolby like dolby digital sound or just the company of dolby 
They've only been around since the '80s, so they haven't been around that long. Um, before then, you would only you would only get like stereo sound or something like that. If you've ever bought an, an like a a Blu-ray release from a movie that's you know from the '70s or '60s or something like that, you only get a mono sound. You don't even get stereo sound. It'll be it'll be like usually one or two channel sounds. It's really kind of we could do a whole episode on the evolution of the sound of cinema and how now it's advanced so much, especially yeah. with IMAX. Um, truth be told, I've only seen a, a movie in an IMAX experience once, and that was IMAX an IMAX 3D version of uh, Episode Seven. Uh, Force Awakens a few years ago, and I was completely just awestruck by the atmosphere. The sound in there is so much, is so crazy that the place vibrates depending on what's happening on screen. The 3D comes right out at you, but the thing with IMAX is you have to situate yourself in a perfect spot in order to really fully experience it. You got, uh, I think Stephen will agree with me, you have to, you the the purpose is to sit yourself far enough away to where you can see the whole screen in front of you. If you sit too close, the experience is kind of ruined for you. Yeah. And, um, and the name of that, what I was talking about, is called Sense Around. Oh, um, never heard of and, it. And, and, and they used it in a movie like Earthquake back in the day where it, that makes sense. it would create vibrate. You know, they, they would have these like flyers up that said, attention, this movie picture will be shown in a startling new multi-dimension uh, of Sense Around. And it would say, please be aware that you will feel as well as see and hear realistic effects such as... Uh, such as might be experienced in an actual earthquake. So it would create vibrations in the seats through the speakers they would put under the like under the auditorium and it was but it was actually damaging the theater, like literally <laughs> like breaking down like stuff because of all the vibrations they were sending through the the, the place. So they had to stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um getting back to IMAX, the what is also interesting about IMAX, and I think Stephen will attest to this because he used to work at a movie theater and he used to be a film yes. projectionist, is IMAX cameras shoot movies in 70 millimeter versus the traditional 35 millimeter, and that's a significant larger uh, frame of film than oh, yeah. 35 millimeter. And, and, they, and they've actually recently developed a digital version of IMAX. Yes, uh, from what I understand, so. They have, but you know there are some old school uh, filmmakers who shoot in seventy millimeter, and yeah, want it projected in seventy millimeter, you know, film reels. Because I'm, I used to think that IMAX was just three D, but I, but I've learned now that IMAX is not three D no. strictly. Yeah, IMAX is large projected like seventy millimeter yeah, stuff. Yeah, your Quentin Tarantino's and your Christopher Nolan's like the, these big. These big wide formats. Yeah, P, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson shot in seventy millimeter as well. Uh, I think he did for Phantom Thread and stuff like that. Uh, maybe The Master as well. Uh, and they were projected, you know, at IMAX screens. As for something like Dunkirk, must have oh, been yeah. incredible on an IMAX screen. I think Stephen, didn't you see Dunkirk? Yeah, I did, I in did go millimeter? see it. Yeah, yeah. That that's gonna be masterful. It was amazing. Done. The sound, more than anything, was amazing. But yeah, oh, the, I believe the, the, it. the visuals. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a few years ago um, when Interstellar came out, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, um, I watched this video of somebody project, uh, the projectionist working in the back of, uh, w with the film reel of Interstellar, 70 miller film reel, and this thing was massive. Like, yeah. it was a huge platter that he had to put this on and then, you know, weave it through upwards towards... Oh, yeah. Yeah towards the projector and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, wow, that thing is massive. And what was really cool is that when you bought Interstellar on Blu-ray, it came with a 70 millimeter yep. like film strip. And, you know, you can hold it up to the light and see, you know, which part of the movie it was from and whatnot. That was really cool. I like, I like when things like that come with, you know, Blu-rays or gift sets or which ultra editions. Reminds me of when uh, the hateful eight came out for Quentin Tarantino. Yes. If you went to the, the early IMAX Roadshow uh, edition, uh, you would get a, uh, a program. I got a program. Um, I do remember that. that. Really good, which is a gimmick of sorts, you know. What is interesting is that he, he showed that in Cinerama as well, and yeah. a Cinerama version of that. And Roadshow is another thing that's kind of a little bit of a gimmick, where it would be a longer version of a movie. 
uh, yeah. longer to the point where there would be an intermission. And something I didn't mention during you know, before when I was talking about 3D or Cinerama or anything like that is that uh, there would there always had to be an intermission built into the movies. Like there would be like a climactic moment and then there would be an intermission because the projectors could only, I think, could exhibit like a thousand feet of, of film at a time or something like that, some number. So you had to, you know, put one in and then you had to reload them and resync it up and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and yet again, they, you know, this would lead to why a lot of these formats, you know, came in and out of style. Um, but I do want to touch on some other unique, uh, you know, formats or whatever. You have uh, 4D, which is now kind yeah. of a more exclusive thing. It's more it's specialty more, It's thing. more of a theme park. You go to the theme parks, you might experience a 4D uh, kind of ride, uh, which is yeah. where the seats will move or a mist might get shut out. You you also wear 3D glasses. It's kind of a multi-gimmick uh, uh, thing. Right, and they and I do think they do this for some feature films, but it's like a special thing, uh, you know. Special, you know, uh, not it's not in many major theaters at all or anything like that. Or um, another thing is like D box, which is you know what I just mentioned. D box basically, you know, you sit. It's another like almost theme park type thing where you would sit in the seat and the seat would like move, you know, side to side, up and down, vibrate or whatever i remember you know going to like like a disney world or something like that and you would you would go on you know a star wars ride or you would go on like one of the things at epcot where you would go like inside the human body and you would like and then the fame one of the more famous ones at universal studios which they did since gotten rid of was the back to the future ride where you would sit in this yeah. fake type of delorean and you would watch a monitor and you would be and it would simulate you like flying in the, De- in the delorean and yeah, uh, you know, stuff like that. And then, like, at, at one point, this, um, not gas, and it wasn't gas, but it was like a mist would shoot out at you yeah. when when the DeLorean was, like, traveling through time or whatever. Um, fun stuff, fun stuff. But yet again, Hollywood always finding new ways to get your money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, you know, there's, and, like, you know, back to what, what like what we said that sparked the conversation uh, to begin with was this, this, um, interactive you know choose your own adventure thing there's also vr which is kind of oh yes slow to come you know they're working on that and i know that they've done some stuff uh but more as like ways to uh advertise the movies like experiences like whether they do it with uh, michael myers i think they did one for michael myers for the halloween movie i think a vr experience um but i've heard that they've tried to they want to develop a full movie um and i don't once again, I guess when we end this episode, as we end this episode, we can talk about our views on these kind of gimmicks and right. their place in cinema. So. Yeah, I mean, a VR movie would be really difficult to pull off. Um, basically, you would, you know, shoot a whole movie via point of view perspective, which they've kind of already <clears throat> done. They've well, done it a they, few times. Yeah, Hardcore Henry would have been perfect for something like that. Yeah, they did that with a whole movie through somebody's point of view perspective but the thing is is i think when you do something like that i mean especially with vr and this interactive this choose your own adventure thing it it it, to me it it take it's kind of went into the realm of video game more than it is a movie because when you're choosing what happens in the movie you're taking away to me i feel like you're taking away some kind of vision from an artist it's not really a I concrete agree. thing you're changing things it's not a movie anymore it's a video game right that's I mean, the difference between video games versus movies movies is you know someone is showing you their art their story their their vision their whatever yeah, it's like it's like what video games so, you're so, kind of so, making so, it up yourself you know what I mean? yeah i mean so so what so we're gonna start like having painters like paint a uh a a painting but then and then you when you go show it in an art gallery then the uh people coming to view it can like paint on top of their painting to change it how they want like is that, how does that fucking make sense i mean it, like it it's, doesn't it's it's dumb yeah i'm sorry okay and this can get into my rant because Here i we just go. can we not watch movies like the way that mo- for the most of history we've seen them which is just fucking flat on a screen 2d like what's I mean, how about we focus on them telling better stories and just more interesting stories instead of trying to figure out gimmicks to get people in theaters? 
Like, people will go in the theater if the movie's good. That's that's what will get people in theaters. That will always get people into the, theaters. Yeah. The buzz um, of a good movie will get people in theaters. It will. It's not. <laughs> um, and that's why I think you know y- your point is somewhat valid. Where like these gimmicks uh, come and go. <laughs> you know, pe- yeah, people get tired of They obviously don't have staying power. I mean, no. I think I think IMAX is the best gimmick they have because it actually. Oh yeah, and it's less of a gimmick and more of an enhanced. It's an enhancement more than anything, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an enhanced viewing experience because you're getting what you've already been accustomed to in a theater, but you're getting better sound, larger picture. You yeah. know what I mean? Like those type of amenities. Um, you know, we've always we've always discussed. You know, why are people not going to uh, the movies a lot like they used to? I mean, box office numbers are still really high, but we we all have this feeling that you know. It, it, movie going is going to dissipate over time and a lot of the reasons or many of them um uh you know financially people can't afford it you know sure. prices keep going up um a lot of things i complain about are you know your projector looks bad and i can tell it looks bad you know your yeah, seats yeah. aren't comfortable you know what i mean yeah you know i mean like your your popcorn well, usually, usually most you know? people's problem is is other people <laughs> that's a, that's my biggest pet peeve is other people, um, and staying home eliminates other people. It really does. But I, you I've also never lose un- that experience. You know I've never I mean? understood why movie theaters don't give you the option. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, I don't know why movie theaters don't give you the option to have headphones. I've never understood that. Well, like <clears throat> like of course that's not how I want to experience the movie, but I think that that should could could would be a good option for somebody if somebody's talking or somebody's like making noises you don't want to hear put on some headphones like yeah I mean, why not? there's that i mean have you ever been in a movie theater and you can sell you can tell there's something technically wrong with what's going on oh yeah uh, definitely. I mean, like like you could tell like there was i went to see sicario the first one which came out three years ago not day of the soldado but the first one and i was in one of the screening rooms at my local theater and over on the right side of the screen, it was flickering, and I'm yeah. like, "Is no one else noticing that this thing is flickering?" Yeah, one of the, <laughs> one, yeah. So, the, so one of the the bulbs, the bulb, the in the in the projector was was going out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, "Is this gonna happen the whole time?" And I'm like, "It used to be a bigger problem when we used to have you have things on film. It's not as much of a problem anymore, but but when it was on film, that happened a lot. Yeah, and also sometimes I can tell when." Some of the audio isn't quite right. Like the the distribution of the audio isn't correct for the movie. It's um, not. It's not. It's not. It's not properly sending out surround sound. Like it's yeah. only coming from like one, a certain speaker. Yeah, I can uh, only. T- sometimes I can tell that it's only coming from the front and not the sides the front and speaker, the back. Yeah, that happens and, sometimes. Yeah. And I and I'm like, and and I know that I don't know if there are actually like Stephen would know this better than me if there are. Because everything is done on digital now, so I don't know if there's it's, actually yeah. somebody up there like checking up on this, or well, they just I like mean, set it and forget it. I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of how it is now. I mean, I've I've witnessed it a little bit, but I haven't actually messed with it too much. But I mean, everything's downloaded now. I mean, sometimes they get sent like these like big cartridges things that cartridges that they hook up to the projectors and it downloads it from there. Sometimes they do it through internet, but it's all pretty streamlined now. So I don't. Unless something doesn't get downloaded properly, it's corrupted. Then I don't know how things could get messed up unless your equipment just sucks. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, <laughs> I think that is a lot of problem uh, with my local because th- I mean a lot of theaters, theaters that had to make like the transitions yeah. from film to digital might not have the best like audio setup to go with that visual setup. Yeah, you know, the, you know so there's, it doesn't quite there's, match there's, up. Yeah, you might have some old speakers to go with your new digital projector, you know, so it, that is a problem. could be the reason. Yeah, technology uh, technology is always evolving, uh, which yeah. is very apropos for this episode because the technology is always changing. You know, the movie technology is changing. I saw a meme recently where it was like, I don't even remember, it says like, there's there's like millions of dollars of old tech just sitting in people's houses. And oh, then yeah. there's like, and then there's like another thing. Well, yeah, it's, but now it's only worth like $10 because yeah, like, it, but like, like people will only buy it off of you for like $10 or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, because nothing depreciates faster than older technology. You know what I mean? 
You yeah. know, these TVs that we bought, let's say, 10 years ago for thousands of dollars are now worth, you know, 200 bucks or 100 bucks. Yeah, or I mean, like my, four, like my, four, my 4K TV is, a four, is just a regular 4K TV. I didn't even get the... Uh, what they call the HD, you know, high high uh, yeah, HDR. dynamic range version. Like this was before high dynamic range became really popular. Yeah. So so I I don't even have a high dynamic range 4K, and now they have like this OLED stuff coming out, and it's like yeah yeah that's a whole thing we could get into in a different episode. Just even only the last twenty years or so, the TV technology in home experience has changed rapidly. Yeah, I mean, 4K TVs are uh, 4K players are becoming more accessible. Because when I first was looking at 4K players, there was only like one, and it was like Samsung. And then yeah. the rest of them, it, like you could get it, which is what I did. I got it on the Xbox One, but like now, now it's very accessible. You can find a lot of them through different companies. But yeah, I mean, it is, you know, yeah, it is very ex- uh, technology, uh, ex- movie theater equivalent technology experience in the home. Which is a that's a mouthful to say, uh, syntax people. That was that was not great. Ah. Um, is is a lot closer than it has been in the past. Like I just yeah. said, 3D was a thing in in home for a while. Um, you can't quite uh, get the sound unless you you've got the space and the speakers. Sure. I when I was you know when you do research into you know setting up a home theater um, in your home. Uh, you 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 discover some interesting things like you can if you want to put 10 12 speakers in your home you can if you have the space but i mean most people don't have the well, space the thing, the thing that's always got to be remembered is the sound treating people yes. don't realize how much sound treatment is important for the premium you know you're like when you go in the theater and you see these curtains and you see these panels on the wall that's part of the sound treatment it you know it helps keep the sound in the room and not Bleeding into the other theater beside you. Oh, um, have you ever been in a theater and you can hear the other oh, it's terrible. movie going yeah. on on the other side? And, like the other in the wa- and also, like in the walls, they, they put like sandbags. They put like uh, yeah. things to help block the sound. But it's never perfect because it's just speakers are right on the walls. I mean, there's yeah. nothing you can do. Talk about, um, you know, vibration and, you know, the subwoofers now and all that kind of stuff. They have special special cinder blocks that they use to help sound soundproof and it, it's it just but we're going on a tangent we're going yeah, on a we're tangent going, here, we're going but, off on a tangent but, it, it all, but it, movie it's gimmicks all in it. yeah. I would say I would say to close this out um, you know I, I've already kind of given my thoughts about how I feel about movie gimmicks uh, or specifically 3D and stuff like that I think the certain things that like William Castle did them are fun uh, things but in my ultimate movie experience uh, I don't need any of that stuff I mean that's that's leave that stuff for theme parks i don't need 3d i don't i mean imax is the only thing that is like you said it's more of an enhancement than a gimmick and uh you know i I can leave all that 3d stuff behind it it made them hike up the like there was a period where when 3d was at they were trying to push 3d so hard they actually raised the regular movie prices to punish us basically for not going to 3d movies oh yeah (laughs) because 3d movies were an extra like oh yeah, it cost cost theaters money to get the equipment to to show three D oh, movies. Oh my goodness, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, because you gotta have the you have to have the projectors. You gotta have the- yeah. They, and then <laughs> and like I said, my theater used to show on film. We had to take money out of pocket to go get the digital uh, projectors because basically the film industry was like, we're not making f- movies on we're not distributing movies on film anymore. So you're gonna have to pony up the money if you want to actually show movies and so, the the irony yeah. of that now is since 3d is kind of gone they don't need the, that extra 3d projectors yeah or now 3D, the extra 3d equipment is barely there anymore and now they got that equipment for nothing i'll say at my basically. local theaters there's like they keep like one one or two theater one or two screening rooms yeah. uh, will show the 3d uh movies and it, honestly the 3d movies now uh the screenings are only for like the new releases, you know, like for example, you know, Aquaman came out recently, uh, so that movie will get uh, is in 3D, but it's playing in like one screening room at like you know the and usual time. And it's only time. like a couple shows a day or something. Yeah, it's only like sometimes they'll have like one show, one or two yeah. shows, depending on how many. Usually screen for rooms me, I have. see that it's like a day show and a night show, and that's it. 
that's about it because they yeah. just people aren't going to people don't want to pay the extra money they don't want to spend you know fifteen dollars a ticket to go see a movie not when I mean, popcorn ridiculous. is like like eight dollars a piece or popcorn and soda is like eight dollars and seven dollars or when you're whatever. paying thirty something dollars a person to, to you know popcorn drink and a ticket's like thirty bucks yeah like, no nah. yeah nah. even if you go matinee it's like yeah. doesn't matter it's like a two dollar difference but that's let, a, me sh- let me shit on your day and make <laughs> you pay all this money to see a movie in three D. Nope, get rid of it. Don't need it. Yeah, I, I'm with Steven. Give me more good movies. I don't need it, but I'm not like, hey, stop doing that. What are you doing? I think, uh, I think people, um, if they don't want it, they won't see it, and if they want it, they will see it. So it it, it all well, dictates I mean, yeah, their. Obviously, st- people stopped caring, and now that's why they 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 got to get rid of it. So yeah. And I think that's going to happen with whatever's the next thing they're going to develop, which I don't know. I know Steven has always talked about um, just making our current uh, state in the cinema better. You know what I mean? Make the seats better. Make the sound better. Make the projection better. Make the make, experience better. Make the experience, make the experience of what better. we already experience now better. Don't try to manipulate our emotions by giving us gim- like you know gimmicks and, and 3D and all this crap that we don't actually need make it about the movie not about you know about some spectacle thing like the movie is the spectacle by itself like it should be at least but that's the that's the tangent i'm i'm, I'm I, my voice is too gone if i had a better voice i wasn't sick i might go a little bit crazier but i can't this week yeah i'm so, I'm, I'm i'm fading <laughs> in and out myself so we should end this before we yeah, don't have a voice yeah left. so that's going to end this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you didn't, I'm sorry. Um, I don't care. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, yeah, gimmicks uh, are uh, always going to be around probably, and we just have to fend them off by not going to see them. And, uh, but, hey, Andrew, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06 and on my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can find this podcast on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and also on YouTube. And that will be it for this episode. episode. Uh, Thanks for watching. And hey, keep on watching the movies. I know I will.